This podcast is part of the No Phony Podcast Network, the home of independent awesomeness. Did a star from 1980s must-see TV create an important show for today? Put on your ugliest sweater and let's find out. Once again, it's time for the idiots. An objective defense of the 80s. From a couple of idiots. Welcome back to another episode of The Idiots, an objective defense of 1980s pop culture from a couple of must-see TV idiots. The addicts? The addicts. Must-see TV addicts? Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. My name is Will, and joining me as always is my friend and my co-host, Ray. Hello to you and all our other friends out there. Hey everybody! On today, today on the show, we're going to be speaking with the amazing actor, Mr. Jeffrey Owens. You loved him eventually as Elvin uh, Thibodeau uh, on the Cosby Show throughout the 1980s. Uh, but uh, before we talk to Jeffrey, don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, review, do all the things that'll help other fi- folks find out about the idiots. And go to T Public and buy a T-shirt. <laughs> Man, okay. And then after you do that, go to a tattoo parlor, all right? First, go to the <laughs> website, print off the logo, take it to a tattoo parlor, and get it tattooed somewhere prominent on your body. I'd say the forehead, I think, is probably the... Um, I'm going to say tramp stamp is probably the tramp best stamp? place to get it. All yeah. Right. Depending on your lifestyle, wherever it'll be seen the most. Mm. Enough of that silliness. Now let's get caught up on 80s news. Always, always 80s news, right? Should I, should I point out, even though we spoke just yesterday to Derek Wilson, right? We're already got a new show with more news. That's how much news there is. Can't, oh my God, it's crazy. It. And if you haven't, go back and listen to our interview with Star of Future Man, Star of Preacher, uh, Derek Wilson. So in 80s news right now, we have just learned that Eddie Murphy's coming to America. It, it may be very, might be a lot easier to see it. You don't even have to risk your life, wear a mask. Buy a seat in advance because we have learned via Variety.com that Coming to America is uh, arriving on Amazon this uh, December 18th, according to some sources. The uh, long-anticipated sequel to Eddie Murphy's classic is in the process of being sold by Paramount Pictures to Amazon Studios in a deal that is estimated to be worth $125 million without a ticket even having been sold. Is this better or worse? That's a lot of cheddar right there. Yeah. I mean, are you excited that you get to see it now without, I mean, I guess knowing you get to see it at all. Yeah. I'm glad it's coming out and it's going to do something and not just sit there and be told, uh, maybe 21, 22. We don't know. Yeah. So I am happy they're going to put this thing out. I do want to see it. Uh, I've been a harsh critic of the rating of it, but mm, I'm, right. I'm sure it's still going to be funny. Yes, Wesley Snipes warned us. Remember, now, oh, that had just occurred to me. Now you may risk ruining your couch. At home, you could just put plastic on the couch. Ah, there you go. Folks, if you remember a few episodes ago, we talked about how Wesley Snipes told us, you know, that be ready to wet yourself at this movie because it's so funny. Um, The good news is, yeah, even though we've got theaters closing and countless blockbusters changing their release dates as a result... Another 80s classic we're at least certain we'll be able to see from the comfort of our homes, right? The first being uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music, which, hey, we love that. You know, yeah, so. I still think that's the biggest movie of the year if you count uh, the at-home watches. Mm. 
Yeah, I wish we could know those Which statistics. They, but. Yeah, yeah, I wish they would release those stats. Yeah, we know, obviously, when Bill and Ted Face the Music came out, it was number one as far as the purchases and rentals on iTunes and some of those other streaming services. And I think it was there for at least the first three weeks. I, I stopped checking after that, but you got to think, yeah, like you're saying, uh, ultimately, it's got to be the king. Yeah, I know Keanu's up for an award of some sort. For, for Face the Music? Uh, yeah, for uh, comedic performance, I believe. Is that right? For the, for the People's Choice or something? Hmm. I wonder if part of that sort of, uh, look, we love the film, so it should be um, recognized. And the actor should, Alex Winter should be recognized for some, you know, his role in that film as well. But I wonder if folks, you know, maybe are more inclined to uh, recognize Keanu Reeves because back in the day when he played Bill and Ted or played Ted, it was easy to write him off as, well, that's, I mean, that's Keanu Reeves, right? But now we've seen him play a number of other roles. So now for him to return to it, it stands out as acting. Acting. Yes. Thank you Okay, hey, in other 80s news, and I think I need your help on this story because you were telling me about it earlier. Uh, Uh, Are we talking about the Cheers story? Yeah. The headline from Entertainment Weekly, I'll just say that, is Cheers writers on why Norm's jokes were the hardest to write and some of the best. Yeah, so according to what I understand, um, because when Norm walks in, everyone yells Norm, and he's expected to say something. Right. And because it's not a part of the, the normal plot of the show... They found this the hardest thing to write each episode. <laughs> and it's just a, like a like a joke, like a one-line joke, right? It's a self-contained right. joke, set up in punchline. Yep. So the, they asked him, what's your favorite Norm joke? And the one guy said, um, Norm walks in, everybody yells, Norm. And Norm says, uh, hey, everybody, you know, I'm the ideal weight if I was 11 feet tall. <laughs> and then... Uh, <laughs> And then the other guy says, uh, my favorite is the one where Frazier brings the baby to the bar instead yeah. of staying at home. And Norm's parked at a parking meter. Right. So he's, <laughs> he comes in and out like five times in this episode. So they had to write five different jokes right. for each time he came back in. Right. And on the last one, Lily shows up, who's Frazier's wife. Right. And he's there with the baby. And Norm walks back in. And the baby yells, Norm. (laughs) So the the whole episode was a setup just to get to the baby saying, Norm. Now I remember this because the baby, there was a big deal, right? Because the baby hadn't said a word yet, I don't think. Right. Yeah. It's his first word is Norm. Uh, It would have been Norm or beer at that point, but that is hilarious. Oh, you know, it's it's great to be talking about this too because you know, so many have so so many fond memories of of that era of must see TV that cheers was a part of and because we were talking about talking to Jeffrey later today and again he was one of the stars of the Cosby show he he, he joined the, the cast on the second season and then there was was on the show to the end of the run um I, I was digging into well what was the earliest mu- incarnations of must see TV and I learned and I didn't remember this that the earliest uh time NBC used that must see TV slogan was during a Thursday night lineup in 1982 and at that time uh the first two series that were part of it were Cheers and Taxi, which had just moved from ABC to NBC. That's two fantastic shows back right? to back. Yeah. They could put that on Thursday nights now and yeah. I'd watch it. Oh gosh, yes. Oh yeah, that was a wonderful show. Yeah, that was a show that yeah, my, my family tuned in every week. But when it was on ABC, uh, it, it, Taxi only lasted for a year uh, after that, after it's moved to NBC. But by then it already established this idea, you know, this sort of the beginning of this concept that on Thursday nights you could tune in and see a block of amazing comedy shows. 
Yeah, and that would carry that carried on for decades. Yes, yeah, and only recently, I guess we've seen a demise of it. There's a couple of shows there, but uh, I guess we'll see if, if and how they, they even those shows come back in, in light of uh, production schedules, etc. But uh, the following year after this, when, when when Taxi was gone, then NBC added to the eight o'clock hour this block of shows. Give me a break! Remember, give me a break. I do remember. Give me a break. Yeah, oh my goodness. That was also the same year that Family Ties would move to Thursday nights and oh. become part of Must See TV. Do you think we could actually do our YouTube thing on Thursday nights and call it Must See TV then? Because because uh, we're doing it on Thursday? <laughs> well, from as a trademark issue, no. What if we slightly alter it? Mm. Should See TV? Yeah, we could call it Should See TV or Must Have Seen TV because <laughs> you missed it. Yeah. Missed Scene TV. That's about, mm -hmm. with our, the number of views we get on YouTube would be more appropriate. Missed Scene TV. <laughs> yeah. Not Scene TV. Not, oh, that's even better. <laughs> My favorite incarnation of the uh, the block of shows, though, ultimately in the 1980s of Musty TV, where it was the lineup of Cosby, Family Ties, and Cheers. And I don't remember what other show was part of that block, because we probably had four shows, right? But those were the three that I remember. Well, mm. maybe it was Night Court. Maybe Night Court was... Um, ah, Night Court's good. Because Night Court joined at some point. Um, and I think it joined as Cheers was making me starting to bow out. But yeah, did your family... Did, was TV watching a family event, even you know among your brothers or your, your mom? Or there was other folks involved? Or was it a solitary event? Solitary uh, no, no. At, at my house, we all watched those shows together. Yeah. Because they were good. And it was fun to just sit around. And, you know, I like to do everything with people. So yeah. sitting and watching TV and you're laughing and yeah, and it's fun. Yeah. If you watch it by yourself, you're laughing <laughs> and there's nobody else around. You have you nobody like to look at. <laughs> like a psychopath. Now, are you a kind of person who when you're, I know you're not this kind of person, so I'll, I'll ask you anyway so we can so we can prompt discussion. A kind of person uh -huh. you're watching a movie or a show, you think it's funny, you're laughing and then you turn to the person next to you. I don't know why. <laughs> Are you, is this funny to you too? Or isn't that funny? I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Some people that do that? Uh, see, I don't ask because I, I already know if you think it's funny or not. Yeah. Like when we watch Bill and Ted, yeah. we oh. pretty much laughed at all the same stuff. We could hear each other laughing, yes. Right. And same thing with my family. We're all laughing at the yeah. same jokes because we all have the same sense of humor. So generally, if I'm watching a movie like for the first time with somebody... And I'm laughing and they're like appalled that I'm laughing at something. <laughs> I'm probably not going to watch a movie with them very often I know, or a TV show. I noticed that some people, including my wife, who I love dearly, honey, for some reason when she's laughing, my daughter, one of my daughters does this too. When she's watching a show or a movie with me, and it's funny. They, she laughs and then she looks at me, even though I'm laughing, you can hear me laughing. And I think it's to bond, you know, or like, you know, mm. I don't have a connection, I guess. Like we're having this shared, shared fun experience. I don't know. Um, but th I agree with you. Thursday night was like that at our, at our house too. Where we would gather around and watch these shows. And then uh, eventually the things you see become like a secret code with those people. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Like, um, like if, I, if I'm around my brothers, I can say uh, fag beefy. And they'll probably know it's from Midnight Madness. Huh. Because we laughed for for a long time about that scene. He's trying to solve the riddle in that movie, and he's got the letters, and you have to figure out what oh. they spell. <laughs> and he's in the back of the van, and he just right. goes, Fago Beefy? <laughs> That's right. And we laughed about that forever. <laughs> yeah, and Must See TV, you know, 
for, for many folks, and we'll talk to Jeffrey about this. Maybe he's never even heard this statistic that 63 million viewers at one time were tuning in to watch the Cosby show, a quarter of the viewing audience. Yeah. That show was huge. Yeah. That's crazy. So yeah. So that was cheers. Yeah. Cheer and cheers was a huge part of that, obviously. Oh yeah. Okay. In other eighties news, um, we are learning this from, from screenrant.com brought the, that this to our, our attention for fans of the Die Hard series and the character uh, embodied by Bruce Willis, Mr. John McClane, if you've been waiting for another incarnation or another spinoff or sequel to those films, maybe you don't have to wait anymore, I guess, because uh, a commercial, a two-minute commercial, which is a, a very cinemagraphic commercial, uh, is now available where Bruce Willis, as a character called John... Uh, is in quite a fix, and in order to rescue himself, it needs a die-hard battery. I'll say, I don't know. Should we? Can we give spoilers? I mean, it's a commercial, right? I mean, it's if you haven't already seen it, I saw it. Yeah. You saw it. Let's go, spoil it. Go watch it if you want. If you don't want anything, spoiled, hit the hit the pause button, yeah, and, and then, then come back. And then come back. All right. It'll take you two minutes. Hit the pause button right now, and then right. come back and right. hear what we're gonna say. So, so the commercial actually is courtesy of Advanced Auto Parts, the show that uh, the store rather that sells a number of auto parts, of course, including die-hard batteries. Um, now, in this Screen Red article, they talk about the premises that McLean needs a new battery for his car. But I will point out the name McLean is never mentioned. Yes, but he's John. Mm-hmm. He's he dressed John. like he's dressed just like him, of course. Right. Yep. And I have to say, at his age, he looks goddamn good still. Yeah. Because he still looks like John McClane. Yes, and quite honestly, by the end of this video, I, I was saying something that I never thought I would say. Yeah, I think we could have one more Die Hard sequel. I think so, but I think we just got it. <laughs> it's yeah, it's a tight little story and action packed, uh, and there are a couple of surprises in it uh, and Easter eggs to the original show, uh, including the appearance by. Devereaux White, who played Argyle, the uh, limo driver yeah. from the first film. I think that might have been my favorite part of the entire commercial when he showed up. Yeah. Because that just felt good. Because his character is so goddamn cool from that first movie. Yes. Yeah. And seeing them team up and the fact that he has to rely on Argyle to bail him out. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty cool. And actually, Argyle bails, bails him out in the, in the first movie, right? Or at least yeah. he takes out some of the bad guys. He comes, I think he blasts back through and, and uh, gets John, doesn't it? Gets him out of there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's something definitely. I know he, he, he well, he punches out one guy in the um, uh, garage, and I think he backs mm-hmm. his car into somebody else, into one of the vans or something as they're trying to escape. Yeah. Right? Um, also making a cameo is the actor Clarence, I want to say Gilliard, 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 who played uh, one of the baddies in Die Hard, Theo. Now, yep. I will say now, now, of course, again, they never say the name McLean, but John refers to himself as John. When he sees this <laughs> character, Theo, and looking at him, he says, Theo. Yeah. When he sees Argyle, he says Argyle, but isn't Theo dead? Isn't he killed in uh oh, you know what? No. I don't think so. Cause they, he was down on the, he was the guy running the computers. And he's the one Argyle punches out. Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah, he was, yeah, he could still be around. And he's got his own gang now, folks. This commercial was better than the last two yeah. Die Hard movies. <laughs> yes. I don't think I saw the last, last one, but I, I Dude, trust you. They packed so much into this two minutes that was awesome. Yeah. That it was better than the last two movies. Yeah. They should have released this in the theaters. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, I um, I, I see a note here in this in this uh, screen rant. They're observing that they say it seems that Argyle's still driving the same limo. So uh, I guess they're talking about make and model year. It was a it was a vintage he car, does, right? <laughs> he does say that he's finally paid it off. Oh yeah, oh yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> right before it gets totaled. <laughs> I forgot that. Yes, yes. Oh, my goodness. It is so much fun. I never thought that. Yeah. And, of course, uh, John John is uh, forced at one point to climb back into a vent <laughs> to crawl to safety. <laughs> now, I wonder if that vent was bigger than the vent in the first film, just due to uh, John uh, Bruce Willis's, you know, advancing age and maybe increasing girth. I don't know. He looks good. Yeah, he he doesn't look, look big. Yeah, I'm trying to make a joke, but, but he, he uh, does look good. Uh, yeah, he. Yeah, you can't even. It's it sucks because you can't even make fun of his weight. Yeah. I weigh more than he does. <laughs> it's ridiculous. He's like what thirty years older than me. Yes. <laughs> but um, another great part is when Argyle at the very end goes to steal the tagline. Oh yes, right. Yeah, he does start to say yippee ki yay. You're right. Yeah, only to be interrupted. Now, I would, we, unfortunately, we don't get the rest of it, but. Um, well, it's still a commercial, so they can't do it. But we all know what comes next. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, and of course, there's plenty of ties to the uh, original film using Christmas music. So you've got uh, <laughs> yeah. you know a couple of Christmas themes that are being hummed by various characters. Further, you know, proving our uh, thesis, I guess, theory, I don't know, that Die Hard's a Christmas movie. Yep. Even a commercial for advanced auto parts is saying agrees with us on that. All right. Anything else? And that's 80s news. Dun, 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 dun. Our guest today appeared on the award-winning, groundbreaking, highly ranked sitcom The Cosby Show from 1985 through the series finale in 1992. Since then, he's appeared on dozens of popular television shows, including Without a Trace, Blue Bloods, and one of our personal favorites, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Since 2018, after a photo of him working at a Trader Joe's appeared online, our guest used his newfound notoriety to bring attention to the dignity found in all work. His new Instagram TV show, Shift Happens, in which our guest speaks with hardworking individuals from all walks of life, debuts October 20th. Please welcome to the show, Jeffrey Owens. How are you? Hey, Will. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Oh, we thoroughly appreciate it. Um, I'm very excited to talk to you. Of course, we are big fans of yours going way back. Uh, and we want to touch base on a number of things, including how, you know, America came to know and love you. And I guess ultimately love Elvin because, you know, it was a little rough start at the at the beginning there. But uh, um, so yes, yeah. Taking a step back. um, what inspired you to want to follow acting? It's, it's obviously it's a, it's not a career that uh, strikes everyone. And it's a, even, it, 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 and even fewer people find success. Yeah. I mean, I've wanted to be an actor since I was in grade school. I did some plays in second and third and fourth grade and came out of those experiences, experiences just wanting to be an actor and never turn back. Literally just, you know, I mean, uh, I, I, it's been from a very early age, and nothing, nothing has successfully dissuaded me from it at all. <laughs> Even waves and waves of unemployment and financial <laughs> crisis have not been able to deter me. I'm determined to stick with this. What, what was it at <laughs> such a young age? Was it the accolades, the sound of the applause? Uh, 
I don't know. I mean, I, I guess the my earliest members memories of performing is probably doing what my mother referred to as the little turtle thing for <laughs> my parents, my family, and friends who'd come over. She'd say, "Ooh, Jeffrey, do the little turtle thing." <laughs> I, I don't remember exactly what that was, but I imagine that I was imitating, impersonating a turtle, <laughs> and and from that, you know. From the accolades, as you put it, from that, I just—I guess I got hooked and got bitten by the bug, and and then the next thing I remember was being in these plays in grade school, which were so much, you know, were just a lot of fun, and I got a lot of good feedback. People thought I was funny and good, and so, you know, uh, I remember people in grade school saying to me, "You should be on television," and they're like, "I don't know what that is. I like being on stage. I had no idea what that meant, but." Uh, yeah, anyway. it seems like a, a distant thing when you're a kid, like that there's folks that can be on TV or movies. It's a disconnect between us as viewers and this magic that's happening somewhere else. Absolutely. I had no idea what the, what any of it meant, you know, until, you know, much later. I got more and more serious about it. I had a wonderful drama teacher in junior high school who really started, um, you know, who helped me start thinking seriously about theater and taking it seriously. And I went to the high school performing arts for one year where I had a brilliant teacher. Um, and then my second high school, I was in a repertory company where I did a lot of plays. And so my interest and in involvement got more and more serious. And then I was a theater studies and English major at Yale and had a wonderful, wonderful theater studies teacher at Yale, a guy named Bart Toysh who's still a teacher, he teaches in New York City now. And, um, and uh, yeah, some wonderful mentors and teachers on the way. And, uh, and then uh, a couple of years after, within a year and a half or so after graduating from college, I started, I started my career back in early 85. And by the end of 85, was, I was on The Cosby Show uh, by fall of 85. It happened very quickly. I mean, and that's insane, right? At the time that you're auditioning, this is the, the biggest show, certainly the top three biggest shows of uh, of America at, at the time. I mean, do you feel like you've won the lottery even getting an audition at that time? Well, no, I didn't know anything about it. I had oh. <laughs> no idea about the show or anything. In fact, the show was successful. It was it was climbing to the success it eventually had. It mm -hmm. wasn't quite the phenomenon it was when I got, I came on at the beginning of the second season, right. and it was growing at the time. But it wasn't you know huge, huge, huge yet. But um, you know, I mean, it was very well known. I didn't watch TV at the time. Mm -hmm. I had no idea, you know, anything about the show at all. Oh. And the the audition I got came uh, came about by a complete fluke of uh, circumstances and when i got the show i was kind of a bit numb and didn't really know what i was in for didn't know the magnitude <laughs> of the 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 thing that i had been placed in so it was kind of good because the way that elvin was kind of new to the family i was new to the show so uh, you know i i didn't even have to act being clueless i was actually clueless <laughs> But uh, I guess in spite of, uh, you know, not being a fan of the show or being aware of the show, you're still pretty green, right, as far as professional acting. So at some point, though, you're on, yeah. on stage with these heavyweights. Uh, are you intimidated at this point to be acting opposite so many? I wasn't actually, you know, I wasn't. I was kind of, I was really thrilled to be acting with Bill Cosby, who was a kind of a, a hero of mine since childhood, you know, grew up sure. with his records and his comedy and stuff. So I was thrilled about that. I wasn't aware of the, I didn't, I wasn't familiar with Felicia's work and um, the the kids, you know, of course, that, that was all their first thing. So I didn't, sure. I wouldn't have known about them. Sabrina, 
my wife on television, right. Sabrina LaBeouf. I had actually met at Yale. She was a Yale drama school student when I was an undergrad at Yale. Oh. We'd actually <laughs> met um, after a show that she had done at the Yale drama school. Um, but, uh, you know, so Felicia and Sabrina and I were the three theater people. And um, I wasn't intimidated. I, I felt very much at home the way the show was filmed with the four, they used four cameras. So it was kind of like, I basically, it was like doing a theater scene on stage and you, you know, the, the cameras just picked up everything. I didn't have to pay attention to the, the technical aspects of it particularly. And, and we recorded it in front of a live audience, which was something that I was used to being a theater person. So actually it was a rather comfortable fit. So, and, you know, obviously training acting in theater, we learned that, you know, theater actors need to be able to project and enunciate and, you know, reach the back wall of the theater. Those are things I imagine you have to tone down when you're on a a television set though. Yes. In fact, the first note I got from Jay Sanders, the director was, he kindly reminded me that there was a mic and that I (laughs) didn't have to laugh. (laughs) They know it's just too loud. (laughs) So yes, I was obviously belting it to the back of the studio, and uh, you know, yeah. obviously much. So at the peak of of the, of the show, so the show was number three in its first season, but then when you came on, it reached number one. Coincidence? Oh, I had I don't even know that fact. Okay, well there you I'm go. Aware of that. I never followed any of the hype about the show, even once I was right. on it, and once it you know was going well, and I didn't. I I continued not to really be a television watcher, and I I certainly didn't read the trades. I didn't right. follow the ratings. It had no interest to, to me whatsoever. Right. Well, yeah, then I will tell you. Yeah, at its peak, it had sixty three million viewers, a quarter of the viewing 63? audience. Sixty three. Wow. Yeah. I'd always heard fifty five point five. Sixty-three. Yeah. Oh my God! Th- that's what the producers that's- told you when they, they, you were negotiating. No, it's only fifty-five million. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's a mere, it's a mere fifty-five yeah. point five. <laughs> um, it's credited with saving NBC, bringing it back to number one status. The year before, I kind of remember that vaguely. I remember that kind of, yeah. The, the year before Cosby aired, Kate and Allie was the only sitcom to reach the top ten, or in the top ten, I should say. Ah, interesting. Um, so uh, much has been written since about how it was groundbreaking, in particular for its portrayal of African-American families in a way that hadn't been before. Right. Um, so you, you said you weren't really paying attention to the show or its ratings. Did you have any sense of how the barriers it may, may have been breaking at the time? Not at the time, no. I mean, as the years went by, you know, as the seasons went by, I heard – from more and more people who would um, approach me about the show. Not, I didn't hear it in the media, or, you know, but pe- people who would approach me would constantly tell me how, how much the show personally meant to me. And I get, started to get an idea of the show's sociopolitical significance um, through the reactions of real, of real people. I, I'll never forget an elderly Italian woman who was, happened to, she was Sicilian, Sicilian American woman coming up to me and saying, Oh my gosh, Bill Cosby reminds me so much of my father. <laughs> and I was like, wow, <laughs> this is wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> and an Italian Sicilian woman can tell me about how Bill Cosby reminds her of her father. It's wonderful. I had so many comments like that. You know, it was just such a universality yeah. about it. Uh, you know, um, yeah, it changed. It changed people's ideas of what it meant to be black, quote unquote. Yeah. 
Uh, it's curious to me that, um, you know, while the show was breaking grounds with regard to race, that your character was still like stuck in the 1950s with regard to gender roles. Um, what's it like playing a character that's so, uh, was so, I guess, maybe not as anachronistic then as it is now even, but it's it, it sort of out of place in, in the larger. I didn't feel it was so strange. I mean, no. you know, it's just like, you know, listen, I, I'm sorry to say, but there are people like that today. There's, <laughs> no, there's yeah. a lot of guys out there who, just like Elvin used to be, they're, they're still out there. Yeah. Uh, so I was just like, you know, I mean, it didn't, I didn't, it didn't strike me as so strange. He was just a misguided guy who had grown up a certain way and witnessed certain things in his life and his family. And that's all he knew, yeah. you know, it was as simple as that, you know. What's it like being the essentially the foil to to Bill Cosby? Because a lot of the sort of jokes that were on was you. fun. That was pure fun. Yeah, you know, um, that was just so much fun to be able to work off him and him to be able to work off me in that way. I love that that setup, that relationship. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like you know, and just looking at some old clips, and even my memory of you as a young actor on set, I could picture your smile. It seemed like uh, you would just sure. you really just. No matter what you were doing, the scene you just seemed to be embodied, you know, joy. Um, oh, that's nice. Mm. And maybe it's like what you're saying—that experience of just acting opposite Cosby and these other folks. Um, was it difficult to get through scenes sometimes because of the the comedy? No, only because you know, as a stage actor, I had a certain level of discipline. Right. You know, being trained as a theater actor, you know, you, you, you're you on stage and you don't get to, to do another take. So I, you know, I could keep, you know, I could keep in character, as they say, not right. not break character, even though sometimes I, I might want to. But, uh, you know, I, a certain kind of training, you immerse yourself in the situation and, and you don't, you know, you don't break until it's time to break. So I don't recall any time, particularly when there was, I had trouble with, with that, but I certainly did appreciate um, working with him and, and the position that I was in. Uh, he was, to me, not just a great comedian, not just a great comic actor, but a, a great actor. Right. Um, he he is a, a great actor. And um, the things, you know, my favorite show growing up was I Spy. Mm, sure. You know, for which he won the Best Actor Emmy three years in a row. Right, right. And when you watch that show, you see why, you know. No, the guy had serious chops. He was just a, you know, never trained, never studied acting, just an absolute natural. Yeah. And so, you know, I just, I just loved working with him. He, he could, he makes things not only funny, but just real, you know, real and funny. Yeah. Of course, the, the, the secret to comedy is truth. Of course, he, nothing can really be funny if it's not based in truth. And he was just a master of that. Yeah. It does seem like some of our, 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 our uh, Many of our very talented actors are also, or started off as talented uh, comedians. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, moving forward, because um, I want to talk about your show that's coming up, um, and you'll help me, I guess, explain this or understand what happened. So, and I'll just read the, I'll just read the, the news story here. In 2018, okay, there were there, there were photos of you working at Trader Joe's posted by, I believe it was the Daily Mail. Um, I don't know what their goal was, but what what happened was something that folks, there was different responses to it. There was an an outpouring of support for you because many, many folks understand that, uh, you know, acting is a job just like any other. Um, 
but there's a good portion of other folks who don't. And in this culture today, think that, um, I don't know, in this era of being famous for doing nothing, they think that, uh, I don't know, if, if, if you're known at all, that therefore you're, I, I don't know. But there were other folks who took this as an opportunity to, as they, as they describe here, job shame. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was your experience when this, when this happened? Well, fortunately, the bad part didn't last very long. I mean, I remember the day it happened. It was August 31st, 2018, and mm. my wife said, here it is, honey. We were waiting. We, I had been tipped off about it a week oh. and a half earlier. So we were just waiting for it to drop, and sure enough, here it is. But we naively thought it was just going to be like something in the in the tabloid rags in the supermarket. You know, right. I thought, how fat could it be? A few thousand or tens of thousand people might <laughs> buy the National Enquirer. I I'm so old school. I didn't I didn't get it. It's like yeah. And he's like, here it is, honey. It's like all over the internet, all over the world. It was like it, it, this whole thing became like one of the top trending stories in the world. And fortunately, you know, within a few hours of it, you know, the pictures and the kind of a little bit of, you know, the disparaging words about my appearance and, you know, look what's happened to him, where is he now kind of thing. And then this just complete wave of love, support, and encouragement came in from all over the world and all kinds of people um, and, you know, leading to uh, audition opportunities and even offers of work, Tyler Perry most, you know, um, notably. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, this incredible um re you know revitalization of my of my career and my my presence in the industry and and of course i also became kind of a spokesperson poster child for the dignity of work mm. uh, which leads to you know the, the show that i'm doing at the moment which we'll talk about in a moment but um you know so it it was a bad bad motivation on parts of a couple of people became something really good really fast so when like before when we were off the air, I think you said something about it being a bad experience. And I was like, no, it actually, it really wasn't a bad experience. It was 99.99% a good experience. Right. You know, and, that, and that's uh, the, the story itself. And like you're explaining that, that sort of turnaround and how quick it turned around. I really found, uh, I guess, encouraging, you know, making me uh, having found a renewed, I guess a renewed faith in, in humanity, because I think it's easy it's easy for folks to use social media to you know, bad ends, you know, and in malignant yeah. way. And so many stories just that are, are perpetuated on the internet and Facebook, all these things are, are, are just terrible things because I don't know those, <laughs> but they, what's that, that uh, line? It must be Mark Twain or someone about, uh, you know, it's a uh, lie will travel X number of times faster around the world than a truth. Um, it was so encouraging to see, like yeah. you're saying folks, more more folks coming out and supporting you than these you know. oh so many more it was just it was just amazing and all, and all types of folks from yeah. all professions and you know uh belief systems and stuff you know at one point i was on the steve harvey show and i joked around that I felt like I was the guy that was going to bridge the gap in the, in the ever ever increasingly polarized country. That I thought I might be the guy that 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 brought everyone together over this issue of the dignity of work um, and and you know all work matters and one job not being better than another kind of thing, uh, which became this incredibly hot issue that just touched a chord in so many people and still does to this day. To this day, I'm still approached by people on the street and blah, 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 who 
saying, oh, man, I love your story. It was so important what you said and blah, blah, blah. I was like, man, I mean, it's like, you know, it reminded me of the, you know, the reaction to the Cosby show when people say, your show means so much to me. And I was like, wow, I, I really didn't really realize how much it meant to people. And, and boy, with this thing with Trader Joe's happened, it was uh, – very, it was very important to people. And uh, of course, you know, as you mentioned, uh, what could have been something that went a different direction went a very a positive and became a very positive and wonderful experience. And yeah. to your credit, you're taking that and, and, and turning it into or, or using that platform to bring even greater attention to this this idea of the dignity work as as you at work as as you mentioned. Uh, with yeah. the launch of a new Instagram show. Can, can you tell us about that show? Yes, yes. You know, the Instagram TV show is called Shift Happens. Shift, <laughs> That's right. Folks, you shift. have heard it. Shift <laughs> Happens. And yeah, it's premiering tomorrow on IGTV. Uh, we dropped a, a little uh, introduction video about six weeks ago and then a promo video uh, this last week. And yeah, uh, tomorrow, October 20th, it'll, it'll premiere. And basically it's a, it's a show dedicated to working people everywhere. And I, ba- it's about working people and what they do. I interview people mm-hmm. basically who, who are working at various jobs. Basically I'm in, I'm talking to people about their work. That's what it is. And it's kind of has a kind of a fun, creative tone to it. Of course, you'll be the judge of that. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's fun. And, you know, the reason that I, I did it is because a friend of mine and I got together, we were like, you know, this this thing that happened two years ago, it has not died away. It has not died. People are still interested in this whole thing about, you know, the dignity of work and nobility of work and stuff. And, you know, uh, you know, I think, you know, I might want to do something with this, you know. So we we came up with some, my producers, a woman named Linda Kurloff, um, and she's my co-creator. And, you know, we just, you know, knocked heads together and came up with some fun ideas and went out and started interviewing people and interviewed some people on Zoom. And, and um, you know, we I think when we dropped the intro video, the intro video got a lot of buzz. I mean, it mm-hmm. like TMZ wanted to talk to me. I did an NPR interview on all things considered. I had all these people wanting to interview me. And the only reason I didn't do more interviews is because we didn't actually have a product yet. It was Mm. just an intro video and I wasn't sure when episode one was going to drop. But it kind of reminded me of that sudden intense buzz of what happened in the first week of September of 2018 with Mm. Trader Joe's thing. It's like all of a sudden, boom, you know, I was in the spotlight again. So we were very encouraged by that response. And now we've we've um, created the episode and we're hoping that, you know, it gets a, a similar reaction. So can you give us an idea of the kind of folks that you'll be talking to on the on the first episode? Yeah, I'll give you a little sneak preview. I'm talking to I talked to a teacher. Uh, uh, we talked to a teacher. We talked to a guy who we met on the street in Newark, who's a um a personal trainer and a stand-up comic, <laughs> and and we and we talked to a couple of women who uh, are in, in ter- uh, design, the design field, um, who who we interviewed together. So it's a yeah. There there um, in, in this episode there are four four people interviewed. Um, usually there probably will be three, but there might be four. But um, originally we were going to have three Zoom interviews, but we realized that they're so 
long. There's so much material that we, you know, the show is only 14 minutes long or so only. That's to me only. So some people say, wow, that's a lot. But um, so we cut down to one. There's one Zoom interview and then there's a, a couple of um, what we call mini interviews, which we kind of get on the spot on the street inside business kind of thing. And what, what do you hope will come of the show? Uh, just, uh, people being more proud of what they do, whatever it is. Um, you know, it's, it's really about pe people getting this idea that, yeah, what I do is really important. And like, you know, what I do is, is, has value and has dignity and, 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 uh, you know, um, it's, it's kind of a, a fun and creative celebration of just the idea of, of working and just an homage to how, how hard people work you know one of the things that inspired me also to do the show is the the memory um of the my co-workers at trader joe's i worked there for 15 months and you know the people who worked with me my colleagues you know uh, there were people in their 30s 40s 50s 60s 70s mm. there were people in their 70s working these you know these seven eight hour shifts and um you know i just so i i just admired them so much i was just in such humble awe of these people who just, you know, working for years and years and years at these difficult jobs. And, um, you know, they deserve just so much respect and, yeah. and recognition, you know, yeah. and they're, they're, you know, now that the COVID-19 thing, this is another thing that spurred me to do the show now, because now with COVID-19, you know, now we're finally recognizing some of the things that I was talking about two years ago about, right. you know, uh, that these people who work these jobs, especially what we're calling essential workers and right. workers in general, now they're being seen as heroes. Right. You know, all of a sudden now we, we're recognizing the heroic, sacrificial aspect of, of this these these jobs that we didn't really appreciate as much before. Right. Right. Yes. Um, and certainly we'll make sure that folks have all the info on our, our Facebook page and uh, other social media to know how to find your, your IGTV. Yeah. Show. My thing is I am Jeffrey Owens on Facebook, on, 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 uh, Instagram. I am Jeffrey Owens Very good. and the show is called shift happens. We're also launching either tomorrow or the day after a, a show, um, a related show called shift happens overtime, which <laughs> will be on you, YouTube where we show the entire ep, uh, the entire interviews, not Sorry. edited. That's smart. But the, right. That's a longer show, um, you know, on on YouTube that people can uh, access if they want. Very good. And uh, you know, speaking of work, I suppose I don't know what the transition will be, but I, I wanted to certainly I don't want to let you go <laughs> without mentioning the fact that uh, I didn't want to let you go without yep. mentioning this and also plugging it. I suppose uh, that I've had the great pleasure of working with you in the la over the last couple of weeks. Uh, yes, indeed. We, we're uh, along with with uh, Derek Wilson, Tamara Tooney, uh, a number of other very talented actors uh, mm -hmm, have mm -hmm. come together to uh, create something in isolation, meaning everybody's separate, um, but um, to to uh, create an, really an immersive, intended to be an immersive exp audio experience, it's beyond radio drama, of the play Macbeth. And you play King Duncan in a number of other roles. Right, uh, right. I, I've got to say, you were fantastic. Uh, I mean, you're an amazing actor, of course, but the, the fact that you could act just to a microphone and a screen, it says, you know, indicates that you have a talent beyond just just uh, acting. What was your thank you? What was your experience doing that? Was that different than any other type of acting you've done it, before? It, 
it was kind of, I mean, I've done some voiceover work here and there, but I I can't remember if I've ever done what we did with Macbeth in terms of doing a whole, you know, role or roles recorded in that way. And I know the first night that I worked, I wasn't quite comfortable with the mic. I had to get used to the mic and how close to be to the mic and, you know, how to, you know, how to be natural mm-hmm. with the mic. I thought, actually thought I, it was going to be easier. And then all of a sudden when we got in front of the mic, I was like, you know what? I don't really feel real. And so it took some adjusting, mm-hmm. but uh, I ended up feeling pretty good about what I did. Um, no, it was a really, it was a really fun experience. Of course, I love, you know, anyone listening who knows me out there, you know, I love Shakespeare. It's my favorite thing to do. Yeah. So I'm actually very at home with Shakespeare and I, 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 I just love it. I teach it. I've, I've acted. I've acted more Shakespeare than anything else by far, and I've taught it for thirty years, and I directed it. So, um, you know, I just, I just love anything that has to do with it. I just right before we did this interview, uh, I, I taught my class tonight. I taught a Monday night class. Um, so, uh, yeah, that no, was really fun, and uh, I thank you, Will, for just um, being the guy who uh, just brought, kind of brought it all together technically. Well, you know, and I've got to tell you, again, because of your fantastic performance and everybody else, I, it's really coming together and sounding pretty amazing and I think different than anything that's been mounted as far as an audio drama because it, audience members will feel like they're sitting in the room with folks having you know some of these conversations. Um, mm, nice. I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, in an uncomfortable but fun way. Um, and, and, and and when are we and when are we presenting that to the world? Will yes, that this creepy uh, version, this uh, you know supernatural tale of murder and deceit and uh, uh, ambition, mm-hmm. unchecked ambition, will be available yes. the weekend of Halloween, uh, October thirty. I'm sorry, October thirtieth, thirty first, and mm-hmm. November first. You can go to knockatthegate.com for for tickets and more information awesome. about that. Awesome. Uh, Jeffrey, thank you so very, very much for your time tonight. It's It's been a pleasure. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Well, thanks so much. Like I said, when we were talking to him, awesome guy, super talented actor. Um, and I look forward to everybody being able to hear the the show, the performance that he did for the show that I'm working on. But And just a it's, sweet, uh, great guy. What? It's funny because I was actually, you know, I did not miss this interview. <laughs> I was actually there. Yes. He was, he was just... He was just so good. I didn't have anything to say. Yes. He handled all my parts. I didn't have anything to do. Yeah. I could see Ray on Zoom just nodding along like, yeah. That's yeah. I'm just sitting here drinking beer, listening to him talk. And he was awesome. Good so. point. Yes. Yes. A great guy. Amazing actor. And now, you know, this is consistent with anything you've ever read about Jeffrey Owens, that he takes this moment in his life that maybe other folks would, you know, be difficult for them to recover from. And he's turned it around to create his own Instagram show, Shift Happens, and, and, and again, try to advance the movement where folks are respecting one another for whatever they do. And understand that every right. job has value. But have we proven anything today on this show? <laughs> you know we have. I, I'm not sure. You you do the analysis. Right. Are you ready? Yes. I've, I've punched all the data in. Okay. And we have proven Whoa. beyond a shadow of a doubt. Wow, that's certain. Yeah. That only a story like Jeffrey Owens right. could start in the mm. 1980s. Oh, the American dream. Look at that. Look at that arc that's began in the 80s and it's paying off for the world. Yep. Now. Okay. Hey, we will talk to you next time on The Idiots. See ya. See ya.